It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Having a statue in New York City's Central Park was an honor reserved for history's greatest figures. William Shakespeare, Alexander Hamilton, Ludwig von Beethoven. Today, one more would join their ranks. And on December 15th, 1925, he was there to see it unveiled in person. The crowd jostled to get a good look at this American hero. Rising out of the crowd, standing at an imposing six foot two, Parker-clad Gunnar Carson cut a very impressive figure. But that's not who the people were there to see. They were there to see a scruffy Siberian husky named Balto, the dog who saved an entire city. Welcome to Dog Tales, a podcast original. Every Monday, we tell the stories of historic, heroic canines. We'll profile dogs who saved people from earthquakes, went to outer space, and even spurred the invention of Velcro. I'm your host, Alastair. You can find episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Dog Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. This is our second episode on Togo and Balto, two of the brave dogs who participated in the relay to bring diphtheria serum to Nome in early 1925. With no other way to reach the Alaskan interior, these brave dogs had to transport a case of vital medicine over 674 danger-ridden miles. If they didn't make it, 10,000 lives would be at risk. Last week, we detailed the incredible bond between Leonard Seppala and his lead sled dog, Togo. We also examined the deadly diphtheria outbreak that hit Nome and the plan to carry an emergency batch of medicine to Nome via dog sled. This week, We'll follow Togo and his overlooked kennel mate Balto as they run this all-important relay. With the fates of so many lives hanging in the balance, these courageous Siberian Huskies will have to rely on every trick in the book to safely deliver the serum to Nome. As the sled skimmed over the Norton Sound's frozen waters in the late afternoon of January 31, 1925, 47-year-old Leonard Seppala was little more than a passenger. Peering into the darkness, he could just make out his lead dog Togo at the front of the line. 
Despite the dire circumstances, Seppala's beloved 12-year-old husky wasn't showing any signs of fear. Togo kept his head low, alert for any shift in the ice. Even as a blizzard raged around them, Seppala had complete faith that Togo would safely navigate across this perilous 42-mile stretch of sea ice. Togo was the best sled dog in Alaska. With his smart and steady leadership, there was no trail too tough, no obstacle they couldn't overcome. No matter what Mother Nature threw at him, Togo would keep the medicine in Seppala's sled safe. The sick children back in Nome were depending on it. Seppala's confidence wasn't misplaced. After a few hours, he spotted the twinkling lights of Isaac's Point in the distance. Togo and the other dogs had pulled the sled an astounding 84 miles in a single day. They arrived at the shelter around 8 p.m. Although they could rest for a few hours, they still had to travel another 50 miles before Seppala transferred the serum to the next musher. However, Seppala didn't get much rest. Outside, he could hear the ice cracking like explosive rifle bursts. They may have crossed the most dangerous part of the Norton Sound, but the next portion of trail still required them to cross over sea ice. Then, they had to ascend 5,000 feet over Alaska's White Mountain and go back down. Once Seppala and the dogs had warmed up, it was time to get back on the trail. The diphtheria outbreak was growing worse by the hour, so around 2 a.m., Seppala reharnessed Togo and the other dogs. But now, the winds had picked up to at least 65 miles per hour. In these conditions, going too far out onto the Norton Sound meant certain death. Ultimately, Seppala chose a middle road. He would go onto the sound but stick closer to the coast. The ice was rougher but much more solid. However, that didn't mean there wasn't any danger. As he pulled the sled across the ice, Togo had to avoid spurts of water coming up through the cracked surface. On more than one occasion, he picked up speed and pulled the sled closer to shore in order to avoid open water. Even though Seppala had complete faith in Togo, he breathed a sigh of relief when they finally completed their journey across the ice. But there was no time to relax. The slopes of White Mountain beckoned. The trail winding up the mountain was the most physically demanding portion of the trail to Nome. Stretching over eight arduous miles of exposed ridges and steep grades, it was a significant endurance test for any sled team, much less one that had covered 250 miles over the past four days. The climb wasn't easy for Seppala's exhausted team, least of all for 12-year-old Togo. Seppala hated to push Togo so hard, but he had no other choice. So many people were depending on them. And while Togo had no idea how high the stakes were, he refused to give up. 
he would run to the ends of the earth for his master. Many people believe a dog's loyalty is transactional in nature, that a dog only obeys commands because there's something in it for them, be it food, cuddles, or their favorite toy. While it's certainly true that Togo would be rewarded for performing well, Seppala believed his bond with Togo went much deeper than that. They had been through countless adventures together, covered 55,000 miles of trail. Togo was much more than Seppala's dog. He was his partner. And come hell or high water, they were in it together. Seppala and Togo finally arrived at the roadhouse in Glovin at 3 p.m. on February 1st, 1925. The 50-mile journey from Isaac's Point had taken them 13 hours. Their role in the Great Serum Race was over and a success. However, there were still 78 miles to go before the medicine reached Nome. It was now up to a musher named Charlie Olson to take it down the next few miles of trail. Once he was done, he would pass it on to Gunnar Carson and Balto. In turn, they would give the medicine to Charlie Roan, who would then bring it into Nome. But with the ever-present blizzard growing in strength, Nome's town doctor, Curtis Welch, found himself between a rock and a hard place. He wasn't sure it was a good idea for the mushers to keep going. On one hand, every moment without the serum could mean another death. On the other, if the serum never made it to Nome, the disease would devastate the community. As much as it pained him, Dr. Welch decided to stop the relay until conditions improved. Getting the serum late was better than not getting it at all. But there was just one problem. There was no way to tell the sled drivers. At the time Welch made his decision, Charlie Olson had just taken the serum from Leonard Seppler, and Gunnar Carson, who was waiting for Olson at a tiny mining outpost, also had no idea that the relay had been paused. Believing that time was still of the essence, Carson harnessed his six-year-old lead dog, Balto, to the front of the 12-dog team and set off into the howling tempest. They were running head-on into one of the worst storms in Alaskan history. Coming up, Gunnar Carson and Balto make the perilous journey to Nome, Alaska. Now back to the story. Although Leonard Seppler and Togo's leg of the serum run was complete, the journey was just beginning for 42-year-old Gunnar Carson and his six-year-old lead dog, Balto. Around 10 p.m. on February 1st, 1925, Carson and Balto set off into the middle of a howling blizzard. They had no idea that the serum run had been postponed until the weather improved. When Carson and Balto left, the temperature was hovering around 28 degrees below zero. 
That's without factoring in the chill from the 70 mile per hour gusts of wind. The trail alternated between windswept ice and massive snowdrifts. Only five miles into their 34 mile leg to port safety, Carson and Bolto encountered their first major obstacle. They needed to traverse a ridge, but it was blocked by an impassable snowdrift. There was no going around it. The only way forward was through the drift. Balto charged forward without hesitation. But even though the 60-pound Siberian Husky was big for his breed, he and his fellow dogs weren't strong enough to pull the sled to the other side. Carson waded in after his wayward dogs to clear a path, but he became mired in the snow as well. Once he got the dogs turned around and back onto the trail, Carson assessed his options. Making another effort to go through the snowdrift would be a waste of energy. In order to move forward, he had to bypass the ridge and reconnect with the trail later on. Deviating from the trail was a huge risk. Carson couldn't see more than 100 feet in front of him, and Balto wasn't experienced at navigating his way through unfamiliar terrain. But Carson had chosen Balto as his lead dog for a reason. He saw deep intelligence where Leonard Seppler only saw brute strength. He knew Balto could do it. As they headed around the ridge, Balto was tentative at first. Sled dogs navigate trails mostly by following other dogs' scents. If they got too far off the trail, he could lose it entirely. Despite his trepidation, Balto kept his nose to the ground, alert for any scent that could lead them back to the trail. Even as they went far beyond the ridge, he kept sniffing. Carson was sure they were lost. All of a sudden, Balto lifted his head and began to run with confidence. They were back on the trail, but their troubles were far from over. A few miles after regaining the trail, Balto came to an abrupt stop. He had run straight into a pool of water spread over the ice of a frozen river a phenomenon known as overflow. The water barely reached above his paws, but Balto was in massive danger. If the ice built up between the pads on the bottom of his paws, it could grind away and cripple him. Even with the rush he was in to deliver the serum, Carson took the team away from the river and dried Balto's paws. Once again, Balto's alertness had saved the day. If he hadn't stopped, the other dogs could have gotten wet too. With the blizzard still raging, the extra time it would have taken to dry 48 more paws could have been disastrous. With the frozen river firmly in the rearview mirror, Balto began the brutal climb up Topecock Mountain. The trail winding up its 600-foot summit was difficult enough to navigate during the day. Attempting it during a blizzard in the dark of night was unthinkable. But Carson 
and Balto had to try. With Carson pushing the sled from behind, the dogs battled their way up the trail. The wind was so fierce that they had to crawl on their bellies in order to move forward. And the wind only got worse from there. The other side of Topecock Mountain was a six-mile stretch of coastline notorious for its violent wind tunnels. A team could be engulfed in hurricane force gales one moment and enveloped in complete calm the next. The air was so thick with snow and ice that Carson could barely make out the dogs closest to his sled. As they pressed forward, it almost seemed like some magic force was guiding him through the storm. But it wasn't magic. It was Balto. Using his keen sense of smell, he was able to follow the faint scent of the dogs who had come this way before. His sensitive paws could feel the difference between the hard-packed trail and the uncharted tundra. Until Carson could clearly see, Balto would keep them on the right path. Finally, a momentary pause between gusts of wind allowed Carson to get his bearings. They had overshot the roadhouse at Solomon by over two miles. But Carson didn't want to waste valuable time backtracking. His handoff point at Port Safety was in only 10 miles. All they had to do was traverse a low valley called the Bonanza Slough, and they would be home free. But as Balto led them into the Bonanza Slough, the wind hit the sled even harder. Carson fought with everything he had to keep himself upright. It was no use. A powerful gust lifted Carson, the sled, and all of his dogs into the air. They landed in a snowbank in a chaotic tangle. Fumbling in the darkness, Carson untangled the dog's harnesses and righted the sled. He worked his hands up and down the basket, methodically patting it down to make sure everything was in place. Balto and the other dogs began to whine as Carson's movements became more frantic. Something was wrong. The serum was missing. Carson dropped to the ground and crawled around in the snow, flailing around in the darkness for the serum case. If it got too cold, the whole batch would be ruined. With every gust of wind, every cracked icicle, he thought he heard the sound of a shattering vial. There was no time to waste. Carson ripped off his mittens and started probing the snow barehanded. Finally, he connected with something solid, the serum. Carson slipped on his mittens and lashed the case onto the sled, extra tightly this time. As Balto pulled the sled away from the Bonanza Slough, the trail curved southwest toward Nome. The wind was now at their backs, and there were only a few miles left to go before Carson handed over the serum to Ed Roan at the Port Safety Roadhouse. They arrived at the roadhouse around 3 a.m. on February 2nd, but the lights were off. As far as Ed Roan knew, 
the relay was still on hold. He had no idea that Carson had decided to bypass the roadhouse in Solomon and head straight for port safety. Rather than waste time waking up Roan and waiting for him to get his dogs ready, Carson decided to take the serum the final 20 miles to Nome. Although the temperatures were still low, the wind was easing. He figured it would be an easy journey. For once, he was right. Around 5.30 a.m., Carson could see the light from the electric cross above St. Joseph's Church in Nome. A few minutes later, Balto was pulling the sled through Front Street. As the jubilant townspeople congratulated Carson outside the Miners and Merchants Bank of Nome, he staggered off the sled and hobbled over to Balto. As Carson slumped to the ground in exhaustion, he scratched his partner behind the ears. Witnesses swore they heard him mutter, damn fine dog, before he passed out. With the serum safely delivered, Dr. Welch was able to put an end to the diphtheria outbreak. The serum run had provided just the right amount of medicine. When Carson and Balto arrived in Nome, there were 28 active diphtheria cases. There was enough serum to treat 30. The quarantine was officially lifted on February 21st, 19 days after Carson and Balto delivered the serum. All told, the disease had claimed the lives of five children. At least, that was the official number. In reality, that number only included the white children who lived in Nome. The disease killed many more native Alaskan children who lived outside the town. They weren't included in the death toll because their cultural customs forbade post-mortem examinations. But without the heroics of the brave mushers and the dogs who completed the great serum run, countless more people would have died. Mushers like Leonard Seppler and Gunnar Carson could rest easy, knowing they had done their part to avert a disaster. But for Seppala, Carson, and their dogs, there was still a new frontier to conquer. One that would take them to a new, unfamiliar land, full of danger and excitement. They were going to Hollywood. Coming up, Balto becomes an American hero. Now back to the story. In the early hours of February 2nd, 1925, 42-year-old Gunnar Carson and his six-year-old lead dog Balto safely delivered a life-saving batch of diphtheria serum to Nome. As news reports spread across America, Carson and Balto became instant celebrities. The attention heaped on them made Leonard Seppala extremely bitter. He felt like Carson had deliberately bypassed the roadhouse at Port Safety so he and Balto could bring the serum into Nome themselves. In his mind, Balto was little more than a newspaper dog. 
Although Togo's role in carrying the medicine was less headline-friendly, Seppala believed his dog had played a more crucial role in the great serum run. After all, Togo had run the most miles. Togo had navigated the most challenging terrain. Togo had earned the plaudits Balto was receiving. But Seppala's protestations were to no avail. Balto had already entered the spotlight, and there was no turning it off. In late February 1925, Carson found out the famous producer Sol Lesser wanted to make a movie about Carson and Balto's heroics. But since Balto was technically Seppala's dog, the decision was up to him. Although Seppala believed that Togo was more deserving, he gave his consent. Some recognition for the heroic dogs was better than no recognition at all. Upon their arrival in Los Angeles, Carson, Balto, and the rest of the dog team shot a 30-minute movie called Balto's Race to Nome. While they were in LA, Balto received the complete star treatment. He had his own room at the luxurious Biltmore Hotel, and the mayor gave him his own bone to the city in lieu of a key. Shortly after, Carson received word that Balto was going to receive an even higher honor, his own statue in New York City's Central Park. It would be unveiled that December. In the meantime, Carson and Balto crisscrossed the country on a vaudeville tour, captivating audiences with stories from the serum run. The tour ended in New York, and on December 16, 1925, Carson and Balto attended the statue's unveiling in Central Park. The bronze statue depicted Balto in all his scruffy glory, standing with his front feet on a small riser. The bronze Balto's ears were pricked up with an alert expression on his face. His tail was proudly curled, as if in mid-wag. It was a fitting tribute to Balto and the other brave dogs of the Great Serum Run. With the tour complete, Carson was eager to return to the Alaskan wilderness and a quiet life with his dogs. He decided to return to Nome in February 1926. Tragically, Balto wouldn't be coming with him. When they first went to Los Angeles, ownership of the dogs transferred to the movie studio. After a dispute over unpaid wages, they were sold to the vaudeville promoter. Even after the massive publicity tour, Carson was a man of modest means. He simply didn't have the money to buy back Balto and the other dogs. As much as it pained him, he had no choice but to hope the animals would be well cared for. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Shortly after Carson's departure, Balto and his fellow sled dogs were sold to Dime Museum owner Sam Houston. Alone and far from home, the Huskies were crammed into a small room, harnessed to a gangline, and forced to sit still while onlookers gawked at them for a meager entry fee of 10 cents. Hollywood 
had chewed Balto up and spat him back out. And now it seemed as though he was doomed to spend the rest of his life in filth and squalor. As Balto disappeared from the American consciousness, Leonard Seppala saw a chance for Togo to finally get the recognition he deserved. In the fall of 1926, Seppala took Togo and his other dogs from the Serum Run on their own tour of the US. However, there's no indication he ever went to check on Balto and the other sled dogs that had toured before them. Like Carson and Balto's tour, Seppala and Togo's road ended in New York City. While there wasn't a bronze statue waiting for them at the end of it, there were sold-out crowds in Madison Square Garden. At the end of the 10-day exhibition, the famous Norwegian explorer Roll Amundsen presented Togo with a gold medal in front of 20,000 adoring spectators. After the tour, Seppala opened a kennel in New England, where he raised and sold Siberian Huskies just like Togo. By this point, it was early 1927, and Togo was approaching 14 years old. The former king of the trail spent most of his time curled up by the fireplace. He was well and truly retired. He had earned it. But while Togo was enjoying retirement, Balto was still toiling in Sam Houston's Dime Museum. In early March 1927, a Cleveland-based businessman named George Kimball happened upon Balto's display. The dogs had been stuck in Sam Houston's Dime Museum for over a year. Horrified at the conditions Balto and the others had to endure, Kimball offered to buy the seven dogs from the museum for $2,000, about $28,000 in today's money. By March 19th, Balto and the other dogs headed to their new home in Cleveland's Brookside Zoo. With a large enclosure and plenty of room to run, Balto had once again found happiness. Although he would never see his old master again, he found comfort with the zoo's loving staff and the adoring crowds. Both Balto and Togo lived out the rest of their days in peace. Togo stayed faithfully by Leonard Seppala's side until he passed away at the ripe old age of 16 on December 5, 1929. Though Seppala would go on to raise and love many more dogs, he'd never have another companion like Togo. Many years later, Seppala fondly recalled his times with Togo. As he ruminated on the end of his own life, the musher wrote, While my trail has been rough at times, the end of the course seems pretty smooth, with downhill going and a warm roadhouse in sight. And when I come to the end of the trail, I feel that along with my many friends, Togo will be waiting, and I know that everything will be all right. As for Balto, he passed away in March 1933 at the age of 14 after many happy years at the Brookside Zoo. His statue still stands in Central Park, his ears and back 
deeply burnished because of the children who come to scratch him behind the ears and sit on his back. In only three words, the plaque on his statue perfectly sums up the lasting legacy of these two dogs, along with the many other heroic canines and mushers who participated in the Great Serum Run of 1925. Endurance, Fidelity, Intelligence. Thanks for listening to Dog Tales. Every dog has his day, and our day is Mondays. Among the many sources we used, we found The Cruelest Miles by Gay and Lainey Salisbury extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Dog Tales and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Dog Tales for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Dog Tales on Spotify, just open the app and type Dog Tales in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Join us next week for another good story about a good dog. Dog Tales was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Dog Tales was written by Alex Benedin. 